Okay, so I had a really cool thought for us this morning. And, and there's, I think there's something, if, if we look, and we're going to take a bit of a look at this, this story in, way back at the beginning sort of thing. It's actually in Numbers, so it's in the first five books of the Bible, way back in the, in the Old Testament. It, if, you, if you're part of the Greek persuasion, you, you call it the Pentateuch. It's in the book of Numbers we're going to look at this, this moment. And, and then we're going to kind of tie this incident, this, this something that happened into this thread. I think it, it weaves throughout the whole Bible, and you see it in different moments. But there's this, all the way to Revelations, we're going to have a look at something that Jesus said in the book of Revelations that I think ties in really well. But unless we look at it from a, a, from a certain angle, we'll miss it. And I think there's something that we need to know. I think there's something actually that we need to do. And I actually think that there's something that we were specifically designed to have that sometimes we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we don't realize that we need it. And so because of that, I think sometimes we can go through life and we don't even know that we need it. And then, therefore, if we don't know we need it, when we don't know we have it and we don't have it, we don't know why we're struggling. Did that make sense to everybody? Just, just give me a nod. It'll, it'll make sense eventually. And because we need it, because I think, I think we actually do need it, I think we were designed for this, then if we don't connect the dots, we'll miss out on something. Is that cool this morning? I just, we're going to have this look at this, look at the, at the, this moment. And you see, there's this guy called Abraham. There's a bit of a backstory to the, to the story. So there's always a backstory to the story. And there's this guy called Abraham. And God, God says, come out of your people. I'm going to show you this land. And he takes him. He goes, I want you to walk this land. You know, look how long it is and look how wide it is and see how amazing this land is. He says, I'm, actually, I'm promising this land to you. I'm going to promise it to you. And I'm going to promise it to your children and your children's children. Your descendants will live here. You won't live here. But I'm going to promise it to your descendants. And so, and from that day on, it got known as the promised land, right? Because it was a promised, promised land, really cool. And so, so Abraham goes and he, and he tells his kids about it and he tells his grandkids about it and they pass it on down the line. And they keep talking about this promised land of God, promised land of God. And then they end up in Egypt and then they end up as slaves in Egypt. And, and, they, and they're still passing on this, this, this story to their children and their children talking about this promise that God made to their forefather, Abraham, this promise, this promise, this promise. And it goes all the way, and then Moses rises up and, use, and with the help of God, using miraculous miracles, miraculous miracles, there's one for you, using miracles, he, uh, he frees them from slavery in Egypt, and then they get out of there, and they, they're going to get to the promised land, and, and then they make a few mistakes, because they're human like the rest of us. And so God says, not just yet, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's not just any wilderness, it's the wilderness right beside the promised land. Like, he, there's the promised land, there's the wilderness, that's where these, these guys are wandering and they're still talking about this promise. For, for, for centuries, these guys have been sharing with their, with their children and passing down the line that there's this promise, there's this promise, there's this promise. And then they get to it, and they're almost, almost about to go into the promised land. Almost about to go into the promised land. And there's 12, 12 tribes. By this point in time, Abraham has multiplied, and there's, there's, so, there's you know, possibly millions of people, but they've broken into 12 tribes of Israel, right? And just before they're about to go into the promised land, like you can smell the promised land, you can see the promised land. They've been talking about it for so long. And then just before, in Numbers 32, the two and a half of the tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they come up to Moses. And they say, Moses, we've been thinking. We don't want to go into the promised land. We've, we've had a look around here, and this, this place is pretty good. Can we stay? We, we want to stay here. And Moses, oh, you can't, you can't leave us. Like we're gonna, there's some fighting. Go, no, no, we'll, we'll send our people. We'll send our fighters over, and they'll fight so that you can have the promised land. 
but we're going to live outside of the promised land. For centuries, they've been talking about the promised land, sharing with their children about the promised land, and then, for some reason, they deliberately choose to live outside of the promised land. They didn't even go into the promised land first and go, you know what? Yeah, it's not so good. Over there was really good. I'll go over there. They hadn't even made it there yet. And they said, no, we'll just take, we'll take this place here. And then, if that's not strange enough, we go to this, the other end. We go to Revelations chapter 3, right? And in, in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus kind of rocks up to, to this guy called John and, and starts sharing a few things. And he, and he kind of delivers a bit of a report card on some, oh, how some churches are going, right? So how, some, how some followers, how this whole Christian belief is going. And he rocks up to, to, to John and he starts sharing. And he shares about seven different churches. And he gives a bit of a report card on each of the churches, how they're doing, where they're, where they're, where they're going right, where they're going wrong. And then he gets to the last church, the church of Laodicea. And he shares in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, some of the most inspiring words of Jesus, and I think you'll agree with me. Here he goes. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. Can we all say amen to that? Anyone want to say amen? Amen. Yeah, that's right. So here we have this, this moment where Jesus is talking to, to, talking to the church, and, and, and he says, you're lukewarm. And, and I've always read this, and I've heard people, you know, speak about it, and, and I've read books about it, and they, they talk a lot about how, how Jesus, he, he likes us to be hot with passion, you know, be passionate about Jesus, because, you know, because they were lukewarm. They weren't hot anymore. They were lukewarm. And one of the problems that always mixes into that is Jesus says, I would prefer you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And I never fully understood what that meant. And I, and I don't actually pretend that I fully understand it yet. But there's a little bit more to the puzzle I want to share this morning. Because we know, we know geographically speaking, if I find the right thing. Yes. Oh, that's the wrong way. We know geographically speaking that if you go north of Laodicea, there was natural hot springs, right, in, in a place called, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's Heropolis. Heropolis? And it's in modern-day Turkey, obviously. Well, the whole thing's in modern-day Turkey. But uh, so these, these the natural hot springs occurred only a few miles north of Laodicea. And we know geographically, archaeologically, you know, they've done digging. They found um, aqueducts that ran from the hot springs at, at, uh, at Heropolis down to Laodicea. But the problem was that they, the waters that came out of the ground hot, by the time they flowed to Laodicea, they weren't hot anymore. They were tepid. They were lukewarm. And, uh, and we also know, geographically speaking, that if you're standing in Laodicea and you look north and you see the, hot, where the area where the hot springs are, you're going to look south, a little bit southeast, and you see the place called Colossae. And Colossae was known for its ice-cold waters, its, its drink-cold, pure drinking water. And apparently there's like, there's a place where some snowy mountains run down. I don't know, I haven't been there. This is just what I'm reading, okay? Anyway, so it's no one, so in this place of Laodicea, you can look north and see a, a place of, uh, of hot, hot water flowing, flowing down. And you can look southeast and you can see a place of cold, you know, really cold, ice cold drinking water, pure drinking water. And Jesus says to them, I would prefer if you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Why don't we pray this morning? Lord, I just, I just lift up this moment to you right now. Lord, I lift up this, this, this moment that we're talking about. 
But you've actually been speaking to each of our hearts this week. And I pray that as, as we are listening, as, as, we are, as we are listening to what you are saying to our hearts, that we're just going to take one or two gems with us. In Jesus' name we declare. Amen. So, Laodicean church, hot and cold. Right? And there's, there's more to the letter. We're going to go into that in a second, and it's really cool. But if you don't mind, let's go back to these guys in Numbers 32. They're this tribe of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. Because I don't know if you knew this, and, and maybe you don't, maybe you do, and, that, and that's cool. But God never speaks, or, or God rarely speaks to who we are. When God speaks, he always speaks to our potential. Like in Judges chapter 6, this guy called Gideon is threshing wheat, and this angel of the Lord appears to him, and he introduces it. He says, ah, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He talks to Gideon as a mighty warrior, and Gideon wasn't even a fighter. He wasn't a warrior. But God speaks to our potential. God, God's always speaking to, to who he has made us to be, who, who, what, our, what, our, um, what our potential is. And you see, when God speaks to our potential, what he does is he places at our feet a promise, a promise of what we can be with him, a promise of what he's called us to be, a, a promise of what he's designed us to be. And, and here's something that maybe you've never thought of, or maybe you knew, maybe you didn't know, I, I don't know, but you were actually specifically designed to carry the promises of God. You have been designed to carry the promises of God. So I have a question. With, with Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, what was their sin? What, what was their mistake? I think they were, could have made a lot of mistakes. But, but you know what I personally think one of the largest ones is? I think along the way they stopped carrying the promise of God. For centuries, they've been carrying this promise of God, handing it down to their children, handing it down to their children. And along the way, they just stopped carrying the promises of God. Which makes me ask a question for myself. Have I stopped carrying the promises of God? And how would I know if I've stopped carrying the promises of God? Here's a thought, and it's not completely formed, but follow it through. If I can answer this question for myself, I am waiting on God to do dot, dot, dot in my life. I am waiting on God. What, what is the thing that we are waiting on God for? Not, not vague, not ambiguous things. What is the specific thing that we are waiting on God to do in our lives right now that we know only God can do? Because here's the problem with carrying a promise, and no one tells you about it until you think about it and then you go, well, that's true. This is, this is something that's true about carrying a promise. Carrying a promise always costs us something. Because here's what we have to do when we carry a promise. In order to carry a promise, we have to, in carrying a promise, we recognize what we lack. And we recognize the only way we can fulfill that lack is through God. And now we have to wait as we walk through life, the whole time knowing what we lack, the whole time hating that part of our lives, the whole time being frustrated with my workplace, being frustrated with my business not taking off. I know God has declared prosperity over me, but for some reason, I have to keep waiting for the promise. And while I'm waiting for the promise, it annoys me. It irritates me because it hasn't happened yet. Because here's the thing. We can put down the promise. Yeah, we can put down the promise. Do you know what the word complacency means? Complacency is an uncritical, unjudgmental view of your situation. You can be perfectly complacent right where you are right now. The only thing you've got to do is stop judging what you lack. 
Stop judging where you're coming short. Stop judging what you're missing. Stop judging what is annoying you in life, right? And so if we put that down, if we put that down, then, then that's how we can, we, if we forget the promise, right? Because you, you can't be complacent and carry a promise. In order to carry a promise, you have to recognize, you know what, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not as good as I need. My marriage isn't where it needs to be. My kids, my parenting skills aren't where it needs to be. My business isn't where, I need to be able to lift that up and recognize what I am missing. Fully, even though it irritates me, even though it's a frustration every time I open my eyes. And in the exact same moment, I say, but God's still coming through. God's still got the promise. God's still carrying, and I need to carry the promise. But it's easier. It's easier not to carry a promise. That's what, that's what Gad and Reuben and Manasseh did. They stopped carrying the promise. They said, you know what? Unjudgmental view. If I don't look at the promised land that God has promised to my forefather, promised to me right now, if I don't look at the promised land and I look around here instead, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. I'll stay here. I'll stay here. And so because of that, because of that, they stopped carrying the promise. So in my life, if I was specific right now today, what has God promised me that I'm waiting for, that I'm actually carrying? You were designed, we were designed to carry and manifest in our lives, to bring out of our lives the things that God has promised for us. We can only do that if we carry the promise. And here in Laodicea, Jesus says, Jesus says, he, he says, I would prefer you're hot or cold, but you're somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, you're, you, you stopped carrying the promise, and so you're somewhere in the middle. Because you know what? Sometimes you need a hot bath, right? I'm going to bring it really simple. Sometimes you need a hot bath. So what in your life do you need right now is what Jesus is saying. Because if, if you just need hot water, you need to get, that's north, mate. That's, that's what you need. The promise is over there. And then he goes on, he says, but if, if you need cold, drink, if, you just, if you're thirsty and you just need something cold to drink, there's, there's cold water over here, but you're somewhere in the middle. You've stopped carrying the promise. You've stopped needing me to do something for you. And then he goes on further. This is what he goes on with his, he's, he says, after, after he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He says this, he says, you say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That is complacency. That is going, you know what, I'm tired of carrying the promises because it's just exhausting and I'm just going to be happy where I'm at even though it's not what God promised me. He said, but this is what Jesus says, but you do not recognize that you are wretched and pitiful, poor and blind and naked. The question is, what do I need God to do in my life right now? He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear. Interesting with the white clothes to wear. The region of Laodicea was well known, historically speaking, for its black wool. And he says, buy white clothes. Somewhere where you are, where you are right now, he's, an idea of what Jesus is saying here is where you are right now, there's, there's, you've stopped looking for the promise. You've stopped needing me. You're wearing the black clothes just because it's where you are. But, but there's white clothes over here. There's, there's hot water, there's cold water, there's white clothes, but it's beyond where you are and you need to pick up the promise. You need to carry the promise. And then he goes on, he says, and he says, get some white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And then he says, and put salve in your eyes so you can see. And a region right beside Laodicea was famous for its eye lotion. It had a, like an eye lotion that they made out of some kind of powder that they found there. And, uh, and so it was famous for its eye lotion. And Jesus is almost, what, almost what Jesus is saying here is, what do you need? You have forgotten what you lack. You've forgotten to look at what you lack and recognize that I am the provider. 
And because of that, you've stopped carrying the promise. So he's just trying to shake him up a little bit here. He goes, what do you need? What's the basic need? Do you, do you want a hot bath? That's over there. That's a promise. Do you, do, you just need, do you just need a cold drink? That's over here. He says, do you need to wear something different? Are you just sick? Like just, just basic essentials. I am the one who provides. But if you're somewhere in the middle, he says, there's, there's an eye lotion over here. Like All of these are around you. But just like the Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, they were right beside the promised land. And they stopped carrying the promise. And Jesus is saying to this Laodicean church in some ways, you stopped carrying what you were designed to carry. So here's my question for us. If I were looking at my life, what do I need right now specifically? If God doesn't move on my marriage this week, dot, dot, dot. If God doesn't move on my finances this week, dot, dot, dot. I just, if you can't answer this question for yourself, I wonder if you're somewhere in the middle as well. I wonder if I'm somewhere in the middle when I can't answer that question right now if God doesn't move on my, this area of my life, then I am somewhere in the middle. I'm somewhere in the middle. Why don't you just stand with me this morning? I feel like maybe some of us have stopped carrying the promise because we didn't even realize that we needed to carry the promise. Or maybe we, along the way, we... We stopped carrying the promise because it was just too hard to carry the promise. It was too hard to live every day knowing what we weren't good at. Looking at the disaster areas of our lives and we just decided, you know what, if I don't judge myself too critically, if I, if I just don't look at myself too judgmentally, then it, I can learn to live with my problems rather than letting God do something amazing in my problems. And right now, if you just close your eyes, I just feel that Holy Spirit wants to, wants to move on the, on the promises in our life, awaken some promises, reawaken some promises, undo some things that we've maybe locked in some cabinets because we're too scared to deal with them. And maybe in your life, maybe in your life, you don't know what that would look like. You're actually too scared to open the cupboard. You're too scared to look at the problems in your life because you know that you can't do anything about it. But God says he's, he's the keeper of promises. He's the keeper of promises. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10 says, That this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Maybe it's time some of us started waking up every morning recognizing the area in our life that we need the most help, saying God is my answer, and started actually speaking faith into our situations actually speaking faith into our finances, actually speaking faith into our children, actually speaking faith into our business, actually speaking faith into our marriage, knowing that God is a keeper of promises and all I've been called to do is carry the promise. I'm going to pray. And if you just lift up your hands right now. Lord, I pray over every heart here. 
over every promise waiting, over every promise denied, over every promise that we've hidden, over every promise we've overlooked right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just inspire us to pick it up. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with power. Fill us with strength to look where we've been too scared to look. And Holy Spirit, we declare right now, we declare right now faith into our situation. We declare right now your power, your grace, your strength into our situation. In Jesus' name, we declare, and everybody said, Amen.